Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Tally-ho, tally-ho. <laughs> yeah, that's my uh, Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. I have scamped uh, here in Lincolnshire. James Holland is joining me. Uh, what ho, Al. What ho, what ho, James. What a jolly good show. It's a rum do today, no mistake. We oh, see yeah. some chaps do some wizard stuff in their kites and hopefully no prangs. Um, you can't hear them now. They're too far in the distance. But when we just set up a moment ago, um, I, I, I kid you not, uh, listener, viewer, the Red Arrows were just tooling past us, forming up, getting yeah. ready to take off. That's pretty special, isn't it? What a treat. Yeah, I know. I and here we are, RF Scampton, one of the most historically important RAF airfields in the country. Yeah. I'm going to fib and say that they've laid this display on for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't just happening anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, no. This is their last, but this is their last dress rehearsal for uh, their first big public display this year in the UK tomorrow. Yep. Friday. So we're on here on Thursday. I and like it. it. The crew it's... are all wearing blue overalls to go with the, the pilot's red. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and they're going to start thundering overhead. And, but, 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 I mean, this is your, this is your uh, classic. Lincolnshire airfield, yeah, isn't it? It great is. It is. And, and four great space. big hangars. Um, one, two, three, four. And then the third one along is the Dam Busters one that 617 Squadron used for the dams raid. And you're kind of looking out on a... I mean, the the horizon just sort of disappears, doesn't it? It's yeah, like yeah. an infinity pool okay. of airfields. <laughs> of infinity lawn, isn't it? <laughs> infinity field, yeah. Now, this would have, this was a grass airstrip in '43 when yep. um, chastise happened, wasn't it? But you had the hard standing. Yeah. So you had a whole standing here, and yeah, they did develop a, it was a runway by the end of the war, I think. Yeah. But, but originally set up in, I think, in 1916, if I remember rightly, uh, with the RFC. Right. Had a different name then. Yeah. Um, and then came back in 1936, obviously sort of right. disused at the end of the First World War, then then came back in 1936, used as, a, as an airfield, and used obviously throughout the war, and a very important one too. But home to the Red Arrows for a, a good long time. Yeah. Overcast, which is good for, for watching. But yes, yeah, well, squad- at the height of bomber com- the Bomber Command campaign, how many squadrons of Lanks were there here? Oh, goodness. Uh, I think there's kind of sort of three squadrons you can base it. Well, you can base four because you've got four hangers. And how many, so but for, the, for the uninitiated, how many aircraft per squadron, spare aircraft? Well, you have three flights in a, in a, in a bomber squadron rather than two. Um, so 57 Squadron was here during the yeah. time, and the whole of their sea flight moved over to 617 yeah. Squadron when it was formed in March 43. Um, so they were already here, but I don't think there was anyone else here at that time. Right. Which is one of the reasons why 617 Squadron moved here, because it's sort of, okay, we've got to, we've got to, we're, it's, it's got to gonna start be, somewhere. It's going yeah. to be a five group, which is this, this neck of the woods, this is Lincolnshire. Yeah. Um, but we need to find an airfield that we can, we need to get the Lancasters, we need yeah. to, to train on, and then the especially adaptive ones for the bombs raid. So we've just had uh, one of those excellent questions. Um, 
Adam Collins here, who's uh, the number 10 pilot you told me a moment ago, has just come over and said, has anyone explained to you what's going on here? So, Rick, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. How, how better to break the ice? So what is going on here? Uh, so today we're conducting um, one of our uh, pre-season practices, essentially. We're back from Greece where we've done our winter training and our spring workup in the great weather. Back well, that sounds the, tough. It, it is, but back to typical British uh, summer weather. And we've actually got our first public display of the season tomorrow. So this is our final preparations for that. Um, we're actually down to eight jets today, so an added challenge for us in addition to the less than ideal weather. Um, but we're going into a practice today, making the most of these conditions, refining the show, ready for the public to see it for the first time tomorrow. And how long have you been a, a Red Arrow? Is that, is that what you call yourselves? We you, do, yeah. I mean, so, if you, if, you know, let's say you're, you're on the pull. Do you say, oh yeah, that's right, I'm a, I'm a Red Arrow? Well, I'm, I'm happily married, so I clearly, <laughs> clearly wouldn't say that. But uh, Red Arrow is the, is the terminology. We're all yeah. RAF pilots, yeah. and we spend um, normally three years on the team. But I'm actually in my fourth season, so right. um, this is my, my last season on the team as Red 10. Right. Um, my main role is the team supervisor, but then um, probably most well-known for doing the commentary at the shows right. uh, as well as that. But uh, yeah, what you're about to see is, is a practice before we set off on the start of the season tomorrow. And, and will you be practicing your commentary as well? I won't Ladies be Ladies and gentlemen, no, what be, you're going to see be, now? Uh, focused on my uh, safety supervision. Right. And then uh, we'll take this back to the debrief straight afterwards. And uh, every time we fly, we just try and get better for the next yeah. time. Brilliant. Well, here thank, go, thanks look. so much. Yeah, and here they go. Wow, look at that. Yeah. That's very cool, isn't it? Well, you never see them take off, no, do you? No, they always just appear, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Nice little fix of three. Undercarriage up. So I'm quite, I'm quite interested in the in the history of it because it started in the 60s, didn't it? Yeah, so we're in our um, 55th, 56th season now. Um, been flying the Hawks since 1980. Um, and the way the team operates, the way we train has been refined over that period. So actually, the, from the early days of the team um, through to the present day, we've just been refining how the team operates, how the, uh, the displays are put together, and obviously modifying things to stay in line with regulations as they change and so on. But yep, there's great history to the team, and we're all very proud to be on the team representing the RAF and Great Britain when we're overseas. And when it started, was it, was it started because... Uh you know, the RAF was at the forefront of the jet age and all that, all that well, sort of Well, when the stuff. team first started, there were actually numerous display teams within the Royal Air Force. We had a lot more aircraft then. Yeah. Um, and each, well, not each squadron, but several squadrons had their own display teams. So when the Red Arrows was formed originally with the NAT, it came from the Black Arrows, um, who flew the Hunter, the Red Pelicans, who flew the... Um, <laughs> Uh, Jet Provost and the uh, Yellow Jacks uh, who flew the Nat. So those teams were all combined to form the Red Arrows flying the Nat. And then, as I said, about 1980, we came across to the Hawk. Um, and it's essentially the same aircraft we're flying today that, that started back then. So very, very basic cockpit. Uh, no electronic aids to help us out. We have a GPS, which looks a bit like an original Game Boy bolted on the, the front <laughs> of the uh, instrument panel. Um, but other than that, it's, it's as it was originally. Wow. And wasn't it Ray Hanna who set it all up? Is that, is that right? When he was in the RAF? He then became a great warbird display pilot. So Ray Hanna is probably one of the best known names um, from the um, from RAFAT. And yeah, he's very, very well known for displaying warbirds and so on. But um, up in the squadron, we've got all the, the historical photos right from, from day one of the team all the way through the ages. Originally starting off um, with fewer than nine, building up to the nine after a couple of years, and then incorporating what you see now, which is the 
the RAFAT formula, the Red Arrows formula of having the first half of all nine aircraft and then the second half breaking down into the sections of five and four and the synchro pair as well, which you'll see practicing today. Um, when I was eight, I wanted to be a Red Arrow pilot. Where did I go wrong? What's the difference between you and me, Adam? Uh, that's a difficult question to <laughs> I answer. I mean, seriously, I mean, is it, is, it, is it a thing you always wanted to do or once you were a fast jet pilot, you thought, I fancy a bit of that? How, what's the... it's, it's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, I think anyone who is in the Royal Air Force as a pilot has wanted to do that since they were uh, small children. And then the Red Arrows, it's always been the attraction of the, the RAF and so on. But I think people's decisions processes come at different times as to whether they want to apply. It's not everybody's cup of tea. I mean, it's this, it's, it's this or fly an Airbus for Virgin, isn't it? Um, it's, <laughs> and there's not a lot of that going on. I mean, there's pros and cons to both, to be honest. But. <laughs> But, but I mean, you know, just how difficult is it to do that kind of... I mean, I look at that display and I just think, holy moly, that's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, presumably, obviously, it takes loads and loads and loads and loads of practice. But, I mean, is it scary when you're up there and you've got to, you know, you're, you're doing your close manoeuvres? Or is it just, you, you were kind of sort of, right, I'm in the zone now, I'm, I know what I'm doing, I'm completely prepared, I'm completely ready, and no such fears. It's very much the latter. The, the apprehension and the nervousness is about doing a good job as opposed to any perceived danger. Uh, but here they go for the start of practice. <laughs> yeah, it's really good, isn't it? I think that's the way to have an interview interrupted, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Oh, it's just so good, isn't it? It's so cool. Adam, what sort of speed are they doing now? So normal display speed is about uh, 330 knots uh, average. So slower than the Hawk can actually go, but the team leader needs to be flying at a suitable speed that everybody can stay in formation with him. So the top of the uh, looping manoeuvres will be down to about 120, 150 knots, and then the bottom of the bigger manoeuvres um, up towards the high 300s. Uh, the Hawk can do 550 knots at a push, um, but we're keeping it around the middle ground so that um, nobody's, or the team leader's certainly not using full power, so everyone else has some power in, in to spare. And also, you don't want to go by too fast and no one see it. I mean, exactly, yeah. you've we got to strike uh, a happy medium, haven't you? Yeah, and the Hawk is great for that because it's very simple, very nimble, very manoeuvrable, um, and it's it's a nice balance between performance and uh, and simplicity, and it's a beautiful shape as well, the aircraft. Yeah, isn't it? Um, and will you have your ninth, your ninth ship tomorrow? We will. We have a very talented team of engineers here, so the ninth aircraft will be ready tomorrow. Um, and then we'll be uh, in a place to do our full nine ship for the British public. So the, the, the flight leader's saying, OK, um, turn left in three, two, one. You know, they're, they're taking, talking them through the manoeuvres. Essentially, right? so the, the display, That's what that is, right? The display is the same every time, but the... The cadence of the manoeuvres is set by the team leader's voice and uh, we call it the metronomic cadence. So the pilots are actually not flying by looking at what his aircraft are doing. They're flying by hearing his commands and putting their muscle memory inputs in and then just refining it by eye. If everything was done by eye, you'd get almost a, a whip effect down the line of the aircraft um, and everything has to be anticipated um, to keep those lines it's nice and like straight. Synchronised swimming. It is, essentially, yeah, just in three dimensions and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a bit quicker. Yeah, 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 150 knots. And <laughs> but basically, the wider the shape, so the, the shape we can see here is called swan. The wider the shape and the longer the shape, the harder it is for the team members to stay in those accurate formation positions. Adam, in the sort of post 
you debrief after one of these, do you? We do. Um, and uh, does, does there, is there ever a moment, because so, that was a bit, that was a bit of a close shave. And do, do you have those kind of conversations? Um, we don't quite <laughs> frame it in that manner, but we do, we would bring up clearly anything that we thought was a, a safety point or something right. that could lead to a safety issue. But we have very, very strict procedures on how we fly the maneuvers. Yeah. Um, each uh, aircraft, each pilot has a box of airspace, which isn't very big, but if they um, are likely to stray outside of that, then they would escape from the maneuver. Right. And our priority is clearly safety, both for the aircraft, the pilots, um, but more importantly, the crowd on the ground as well. So we yeah. have very strict regulations that we fly to, and then very strict rules um, within our own formation that we're adhering to to make right. sure it is safe. So it's that balance between a visually dynamic and exciting display for the public to watch, but also keeping it safe. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. some of the things that look very close to the crowd, actually we've built in a lot of safety right, right, um, right. distances and so on. So partly it's a visual illusion, but partly we are flying quite close as well. <laughs> When you're in a, when you're in tight formation, how much bad air is, is there coming off the plate? If you're at the back, how much bad air is there coming off the ones at the front? There can be a reasonable amount. So we actually stack um, low as you go back, essentially to stay out of the weight turbulence right. of the aircraft. But the other factor we have is if it's a hot day and you've got thermals bubbling yeah. up, that can make it very bumpy. So the, the temptation is to fight those bumps, but actually um, we just have to rely on everyone riding the same bumps to maintain that formation position. So that's a, a skill in itself to, to not worry about the turbulence, to Absolutely, let yeah. that pass. And um, the weight turbulence is a great point as well for when we're coming into land. Because we're a big formation landing fairly close to each other, we actually separate left and right and then allow for the wind as well. So right. if the, the weight turbulence is being drifted towards us, then we'll stack higher than the aircraft ahead. And that right. keeps us out of that weight turbulence when we're coming into right, land right, as well. Right. Wow. We need to take a break right now. We'll see you in a tick. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. It's a kind of heart-stopping moment, isn't yeah, it? It's a genuinely heart-stopping moment. You think, is this going to be the one where it goes wrong? I don't think that. I mean, I just, you know, of course it's not. But That's why we train so much to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it but... So now you've got the, uh, the front section of five aircraft. They're nicknamed Enid um, after the famous five. Um, so they're coming <laughs> in from the right in line astern. Uh, normally we have the even-numbered aircraft on the right, the odd-numbered on the left. The position they've gone into now is uh, called reverse battle, so it's a reverse V-shape. We've now got the aircraft on the opposite sides from normal. To get back to the right side, they do this manoeuvre, which is called slalom, and this is the one where it does actually seem very close in the cockpit as you cross through that uh, line of position, and then back out onto the right side again. And in this year's display, um, they're about to put the smoke on, but as a as a salute really to the NHS and, and key workers throughout the pandemic um, as we come through this pass rather than the standard red, white and blue, uh, the blue smoke comes on and we're smoking blue um, to uh, honour the NHS and key workers this year in our displays. Brilliant. Very good. So is the slalom a new manoeuvre? Slalom's been used before. Uh, normally it's, it's only used in the flat show. This year it's in every show, so whether it's a full rolling or flat show, depending on the weather, we, we have slalom in each one this year. So this time we've got red six and seven rolling upside down. <laughs> seven is flying formation upside down on red six. And then today red nine is underneath red six flying formation on him. Wow. 
And just how difficult is that to do? Uh, it's a very complex manoeuvre. It's probably one of the most technical ones for the, the rear section and the synchro pair. In the full show, we actually roll that manoeuvre. So six will push up inverted with the other aircraft formating and then go into a barrel roll with um, red six upside down, everyone else the right way around. Once they're upside down, six is the right way up and everyone else is upside down. So there's a lot of coordination, a <laughs> lot of timing and a lot of practice that goes into that one. I'm feeling giddy just thinking about that, aren't you? Amazing. I mean, you'd have to put your sandwich down, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so some manoeuvres we um, have the air brake out against power. It basically means we can use a higher power setting for the same speed. And basically the, the higher the power setting, the more responsive the engine is. Yes. So we sometimes use that technique, air brake against power, so that we have that responsiveness in yeah, the engine. Yeah, I understood. So, so it's like it, 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 it's, you've got just that more thrust yeah, because I mean, you've deployed more drag. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Why are the ground crew in blue? Uh, it's just tradition, so pilots wear the red suits and uh, ground crew and support team wear the blue once we've got our public display authority. So until then, we're all in green ah! in our standard oh, suits. And then, uh... Once we're clear to display for the public, the display suits and the blue coveralls go on. Right, so there's a moment in the year when you don the red suits then? There is. It was a couple of weeks ago for us as we completed our training in Greece. Uh, the two-star officer in charge of us comes out, assesses us for three or four days. Not just the flying, but the ground procedures, the, um, the paperwork, the assurance processes. And if, uh, if they're content that we're fit to display in front of the public, then PDA is awarded. And we put the display red and blue suits back on so and nice. uh, get ready to display for the public. I love that. How do you go back to flying a desk after this? What do people do after the Red Arrows? I mean, uh, different people have different takes on it. So it is quite fatiguing being on the team. Um, the pace of uh, not just the flying, but the hotels and the room service and the, yeah, <laughs> it has its advantages as well sometimes. But um, but people have different um, views on it. So some people are, are keen to get back to a desk job, just have a break from it. Other people keen to get back to the front line or instructing. Yeah. Um, but it's just a. I mean, it's a privilege for us all to spend three years representing the RAF in Great Britain. It's certainly a very, very cool stamp, isn't it? To, to have been part of the Red Arrows, to say I was a Red Arrow, I think that's, yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. The great thing about the team um, these days, which has really changed over recent years, is we're now much more used as global ambassadors for Great Britain. So the government will send us on an international tour, um, really to generate um, interest in the UK, to encourage investment, uh, education, business, commerce, um, and we can be put anywhere around the world, do our displays, um, bring people together, and then talk about um, inspiration or leadership or whichever topics um, are, are required for that particular occasion, and really um, put our red, white, and blue smoke in the air and, and literally take the flag all around the world. So, how much, you know, in a, in, a, in a year of, dis you know, in the, in the summer season of displaying, how much are you displaying in the UK and how much would be overseas? Majority, vast majorities in the UK. So on a typical year, which clearly we haven't had one for a couple, um, but a typical year we'll do between 60 and 70 displays in the UK. Now some of those might be multi-display shows, so it could be the International Air Tattoo, for example, we display three times there. Um, and then we'll display normally once or twice, maybe three or four times in Europe during the domestic season. And then if we're doing a tour that year, we'll generally set off um, in September time and spend between a month, two months overseas. Uh, 2019, we actually spent um, a bit longer away. We left the domestic season early to do the North America tour, 
which was um, about 12 weeks of engagement in the US and Canada, which... Uh, wow. Yeah, how really, did you get? How did you get the hawks to North America? Did you like hop to Iceland and? We did so up right. to Scotland, across to Iceland, Greenland, and then on to Canada from there. So, in a single-engine aeroplane of this of this era, with limited uh, avionics and so on, quite a challenge in itself. Yeah. So, lots of support from other aircraft in the RAF, right. um, helping us across there, uh, taking our kit and uh, and so on. So, yeah, quite an adventure even just to get across. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. And where are you off to tomorrow? So tomorrow we're going to the Midlands Air Festival. So we're going to be operating out of uh, Fairford. Uh, we'll fly down there tomorrow, uh, do a show there tomorrow and Saturday. And then we're off down to Exeter for some other engagement at the weekend. So we're actually... Uh, busy three days then. Busy, busy three days, but pretty typical for a normal season. So it's great to get back into the normal swing of things. And um, yeah, we'll generally up to maximum of about eight displays a week is what we will achieve on a normal season. Um, but this is a fairly typical week for June for us uh, getting going in the season. So in a week like this, I mean, you know, in, be in between, between now and, say, September, I mean, how much more practising are you doing? I mean, or, or is it, are you sort of practising just by the process of actually doing the formation and it, doing the displays? It depends on how many shows we've done that week. So we have a we have a currency within the unit that if we haven't display flown for essentially a week, then we'll fly a practice before we fly in front of the public again. But generally, if it's any more than two or three days, we'll do a practice here at Scampton before we then go on the road again. If it's been a busy week and um, it's just the, the Monday, Tuesday, which is normally when we don't fly that we've had off, then we'll go straight back into public displaying again. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just keeping that skill set. It wouldn't become unsafe to do it less regularly than that, but the polish we want to achieve and the standard we want to show the public, uh, it's a perishable skill and we need to keep on top of that to give the, that final couple of percent of, um, what, of polish. How much fuel does a Hawk get through in a display like that? Uh, surprisingly little for this type of aircraft. So we normally take off with 1,000 kilos of fuel and we'll be landing with about 400 right. um, off this. So right. compared with something like a Typhoon or a Tornado when it was yeah. around, then yeah. they'd use that much in the first 10 minutes of yeah, uh, yeah, flight. Yeah. And if you're one of the nine, you know, and you're, and you're flying, I mean, seemingly the, just the whole thing is just absolutely logged in your brain. Every bit of it. I mean, and, and when you're not in the aircraft, are you, I mean, are you sort of waking up in the middle of the night sort of suddenly thinking about, um, I don't know, doing your particular movers, manoeuvres, or, or, or are you able to kind of switch off? Um, a bit of both, to be honest. It's important to be able to switch off, but then um, remembering the areas you could have improved on from the last sortie and so on, we bring those into the brief, and then the, the whole point of the brief as we're going through the sequence, or the team leader is, is talking about the sequence, everyone is verbalising their own errors or areas that they could have improved in that, that manoeuvre from the last time. And then when we watch the debrief, we're, we're tearing it apart. We, the debrief will take longer than the actual flight did. Um, and we're then looking at, um, everyone's looking at their own errors, how they could have improved. And it might be something that the public can't see. It looks, looks like a perfect manoeuvre, but for us, there'll never be a perfect manoeuvre, never be a perfect display. There's always something to improve on. And inevitably, you'll be thinking about it at home and wake up in the middle of the night. And uh, it's just human nature, I guess, if um, when you're dedicated to what you do and um and completely invested in it then it is hard to switch off from sometimes sounds a lot like try. this podcast <laughs> <laughs> i did switch off occasionally <laughs> not very often maybe when i'm batting yeah yeah when you're batting yeah <laughs> um adam thank you so much for, uh, for giving us your time My and pleasure. talking talking us through all this is some um, i mean obviously it's extra privilege, isn't well, the, well, it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the word, inside, I, the word iconic gets bandied about too much in this day and age, but this is a genuinely iconic thing. Um, and to talk to someone who actually has the red overalls on is a, a, a special 
thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a privilege. Isn't it, Jim? Well, yeah, it really it's is. A, it's a privilege for us to be part of the team. It's one of those things that, um, as you mentioned earlier, you, you can never really stop talking about it once you've done it. But uh, <laughs> it has to come to an end for all of us at some stage and, and back to, to normal RAF life. But yeah, great honour to, to do this job and, and represent Great Britain in the RAF. Well, congratulations and have a really, really wonderful yeah, summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope you can get back to some kind of normality. Yeah. Absolutely, for everyone, yeah.